Welcome to the Life as an Observer podcast. My name is Ryan Bean. I am your host in self-observation. This podcast is an exploration of physical and non-physical self through discussion around yoga, meditation, self-improvement, self-realization, and practices that elevate the mind-body-soul connection. Let's start observing. This episode of Life as an Observer is made possible by patron support. If you'd like to support this program, you can visit patron.podbean.com backslash life as an observer to learn more. Today on Life as an Observer, we have Scott Allen with, uh, and we're going to discuss Ketamine, assisted therapy, um, some protocols that are along with using ketamine for um, various treatments and incorporating breath work and other modalities as part of those treatments. Really just kind of digging deep into the application of psychedelics in mental health um, healing and also just in physical healing and how we can grow utilizing um, different chemicals, uh, we'll leave it at yeah, chemicals because there's more than just ketamine that can assist us in this, but today we're really going to dive deep. Thanks for joining Life as an Observer today. Hey Scott. Hi, how are you doing? I feel amazing today. I have kind of a shorter week, which is really nice, and it's always nice to, to be able to sit down. So thanks for having me, um, so we can kind of go over um, who you are and what, what is, you know, what is your passion these days. So I know that I'm looking at a wall of places that you've been and things that you've done with your life, and, and, and it's all led you to here, to this moment, and I think it's kind of a cool idea to think about that, you know, if we were to, like, stick with what we had when we left high school, what we were going to do, and we did that for 20 years. I guess that's what the baby, baby boomers did, right? Where they did it for 20 years, but your path has taken a left or a right turn to bring you to where you are now, you know, and, and, and made some changes to adapt to, to what you find is a fulfilling career. So if you, if you would, I'd like people to get to know you a little bit, maybe go back. We don't have to go all the way back to high school, but like where your path led through through your medical career and and how you ended up here as a you know running a ketamine assisted therapy clinic. Yeah, so so he's probably referring to my my wall of ego displaying <laughs> <laughs> diplomas. Um, so yeah, so I'm a I'm an anesthesiologist. I went to med school in Wisconsin, uh, did an anesthesia residency at the University of Utah, and I did an extra year of transplant anesthesia. So. Um, so most of my career had been kind of focused around doing big, bloody surgeries, um, real like trauma-oriented surgeries um, that, are, that are very, uh, you know, technically, uh, require a lot of technical expertise. And so that's kind of where I've been throwing most of my focus. Well, about three years ago, I moved back down here to St. George. It's where I'm from, St. George. And had some, just several people reaching out to me about the, uh, the use of ketamine for depression. So ketamine is an anesthesia medication. We've been using it for a lot of years in the operating room. And oh, about 10 or so years ago, people started using it more to treat depression. And so 
I, I've been involved in some depression research at the University of Utah. We were using different anesthetics, one, one being propofol uh, to treat depression, some other of the uh, gas anesthetics as well. <clears throat> and uh, they, they tend to work pretty well for treating depression. Now, the problem with most of the other anesthetics is you need an operating room environment. They de decrease your respiratory drive, um, requires a high amount of expertise to do it. Whereas ketamine is very safe. Um, it, you maintain your respiratory drive, and it still tends to be pretty effective for treating mental health disorders. And so my wife, Rachel, and I, my wife, Rachel, is also an anesthesiologist. Uh, we started this clinic about three years ago, and we called it Satori. And so now, now we have this, this clinic in, that is in the middle of, of, of St. George, Utah, people coming from all around to, to see if it works for them. Because I think that there is a little bit of what we'll call it a cloud of, uh, of curiosity that surrounds ketamine for, uh, for therapy. And because, at least for me, I remember hearing about ketamine when I was at a music festival. And I was like, I want nothing to do with that because I didn't understand it. And, and I think that's the truth with like a lot of things that we may take into. We just don't understand what they are, especially as it relates to like cannabis and like all the different strains and how do we use it and where is it? And, you know, and so for ketamine, I, you know, I think at the time, you know, I had those big K or special K or whatever. And I was like, I, want, I don't want anything to do with that. It doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. Cause I didn't know what it was. I just knew it as like a tranquilizer, right? Yeah. That's what I knew it as. And so I was like, that's not for me, but I think that's really far from what it really is. Um, so the name of your clinic is called Satori Health. And is that right? Satori Health. Uh, Satori Health and Wellness. Yeah. Satori Health and Wellness. Yeah. And um, clients come in there and they, they, they get an infusion or, and then they can be prescribed additional treatments that they can take, whether that be in, you know, sublingual or, or whatnot. But I'm, I'm curious for you to talk about Satori and the name itself, because I, when I think Satori, I think of, you know, enlightenment and that this, you know, it's called lots of names. We call it Nirvana or we call it Samadhi or this place. And you've named your clinic after that. So it's really saying that, that there is some change that can happen from a clouded mind to one that is self-realized utilizing these uh, chemicals and I'm curious about your definition of enlightenment and how ketamine can help get that. Okay so so first off I want to kind of start off talking a little bit about ketamine um, and ketamine assisted therapy. So ketamine I would say falls under the larger umbrella of psychedelic assisted yeah. psychotherapy and I think it does get a bad rap as a party drug because in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, people in Russia and other places started developing pretty problematic use with ketamine. And so it kind of got stigmatized because of that as a party drug. Um, but as an anesthetic, it's incredibly safe. It's, in, it's uh, one of the World Health Organization's uh, essential medicines mm -hmm. in that it can be used in um, just really impoverished areas to provide anesthesia. So, so if you're in Africa... Really, all you need to, to do, you know, maybe a, um, uh, like an orthopedic surgery or some type of abdominal surgery is you just need a vial of ketamine and somebody who can kind of watch you during it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not the cleanest, like um, clean being kind of um, an elegant anesthesia with, with uh, the fewest side effects. 
um, but it's a very effective medication that can be used in well-resourced areas. As a psychedelic, so, so getting back, so if you use it in an anesthesia context, um, when you're coming down off of it, when you're waking up from the surgery, you tend to get a dysphoric reaction. Um, and what we say by that is people get kind of anxious and um, you know they're hallucinating and they don't really like that when you use it as part of a surgical context. Now, if you're using it in a calm environment <clears throat> where, you know, with, with low lighting, you have a supportive person with you, you have um, kind of spa-like music, the experience you get tends to be pretty transcendent. And uh, most of the time, it's, it's a very beautiful experience. You get a oneness with the universe. Um, sometimes you get an out-of-body experience. Um, it tends to be very uh, just beautiful, and, and I'd call it a mystical experience. And so that, that, that really gets to the point of, with psychedelic therapy that the, the mindset going into it and the setting in which you do it tends to uh, really influence the outcome of treatment. Yeah. And, and we see that starkly in the, in the use of ketamine in the operating room versus in the uh, clinical environment, like the outpatient clinical environment. Yeah, I see that. I mean, I think the, the environment is key almost in, in all ceremonial psychedelic um, therapies, you know, I'm, I'm familiar more with psilocybin and the setting is key. Like, you know, yeah, you can have it as a party drug. That's great. But that's, you know, that's not what you're doing. And that's not what I would want to offer either is, you know, kind of creating ceremony around it because there is, there is a real history and I guess we can kind of dive down that, but there is a history of psychedelics with indigenous peoples and, uh, different cultures around the world who have been using psychedelics not as a as a party drug for any means, but really as a way uh, for ceremony, religious ceremony, and really and for their own mental health. I mean, whether that be through cactus or whether that be mushrooms or, or other or other chemicals that um, help enlighten. I mean, you can even talk about vine and, and different ways that it's being used in South America and. It's almost as though nature is giving us a tool. Now, I'm not familiar with where ketamine comes from or its derivatives, um, but I'm guessing that it, that it, that it, this we kind of stumbled upon that that it, that it is a psychedelic and that it um, can be helpful. Can you talk about that a little bit? Where the ketamine's history a little bit? Yeah. So, so ketamine was developed in the 1950s and 60s by a, a pharmaceutical company. Um, and, and you're right, it was kind of stumbled upon, um, maybe accident, it's, it's psychoactive effects were stumbled upon accidentally. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting where LSD was kind of the same way with mm -hmm. Albert Hoffman. He, you know, accidentally took it and had a strange experience. And, and so for, for whatever reason, LSD hasn't, at least in the psychedelic community, hasn't had the same stigma as ketamine has, even though they're both lab-derived. So <clears throat> I don't know what that, what that means, but... It's, it's an interesting fact. I want to get back to enlightenment. So enlightenment is kind of an interesting concept um, that's probably like poorly defined by a lot of mm -hmm. pe people. And so it's kind of this, what, what you take from it. And I think we named the clinic Satori, which means uh, sudden enlightenment in Japanese. And I think we, we found that from an Alan Watts talk or something like that. Mm. And it... I think we do it for two ways because so ketamine and other psychedelics, they, they produce this rapid expanded state of consciousness. 
uh, where, where your brain is making all sorts of different connections, uh, you're having a very visionary experience, and uh, it tends to be very insightful. So insight, enlight, and uh, they, they, they take, take on these, um, these connotations of light and, and increased, uh, I guess, inter- increased mental capacities. So that, that's when the, the sudden expansion of your mind can happen very quickly and can open people up. But when you come down, you enter this state of, uh, it tends to be very tranquil. So, uh, so most people who take you know, uh, psilocybin or LSD or ayahuasca, there's that afterglow period mm-hmm. where your mind is just, it's just very, uh, very calm and relaxed and clear. Same thing happens with ketamine. <clears throat> As you come down after the experience, you have increased clarity of mind. You have uh, more tranquility. Um, the ruminations that we usually go on, the, the anxieties, the worries, they're, they're gone for a period of time. And so I think that's another component of enlightenment. So you have the mind expansion state, but you also have the, the tranquil state, which can be a pretty prolonged state of time if we uh, develop that and we nurture that, ex- that state of mind. And to me, that, that's a stable form of enlightenment in which we can all live daily. So if you get into that stable, that tranquil peace from, well, first setting, then in the administration, and, and, and then we have that peace afterwards. So tell me a little bit about what clients can expect. They, do they, is that a time for meditation for them? Is that a time to just listen to music? Is that a time where you're offering something else to them so that they can maximize that peace, which to me... When I teach yoga, I talk about that, you know, that, that, that we're, we spent this whole hour doing yoga. Now we're at the point where we're ready. We're ready for meditation. We're ready for this Shavasana meditation. What do you, what do you suggest and offer in, in that tranquil period for your clients? So, uh, so in our clinic, because it's, it's a mental health clinic, as people are coming down out of the visionary experience, it tends to be a very fruitful time for uh, psychotherapy or talking about traumas, mm-hmm. or, or uh, working through those insights that they gain from the experience. So, so we have about a half hour to 45 minutes as they're coming down that tends to be very, um, in, which, in which we try to engage them in conversation. Um, now, when people go home, uh, a lot of people will sleep off the experience. It tends to be kind of um, hard on, on people's system, just, just kind of tiring, you know, when, when you've had a big experience like that. Most people want to take a nap afterwards. But then that night, I encourage everybody to do, to do a practice that's meaningful to them. I encourage people to journal, um, if that's what they're used to, uh, meditate. Um, a lot of people are into art, so that's the time I, I tell people to kind of sit down and, and do some art that just like really speaks to them. It's almost like, <clears throat> chan- like a, in a way of channeling that inner creativity, that inner voice, mm-hmm. right? Just kind of channeling that. I think it's interesting you say that it's, a, it's actually a calming when people get tired. I know from psilocybin experiences, I'm very active. Mm-hmm. I'm very, my, I'm, I don't want to sleep. I actually need to augment cannabis to, to be able to sleep. Interesting. So, so with ketamine, you find that you're, that you're quite tired afterward. Huh? Yeah, mo- most people, uh, it, they're, they're pretty sleepy afterwards. It is an anesthetic afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I know that um, I would... So we talked a little bit about so it came around about the same time as it sounds like LSD took took its you know took its rise in the '60s and ketamine was around but being kind of used in a in a different format and 
I'm, I'm very familiar with like some of the experiments that were that were done around LSD and psilocybin during that time. And I don't know if there was, was some of the same, but I know that Ram Dass and, and, and Timothy Leary, they, they did a lot of that at, at Harvard where they were saying, Hey, let's, ex- let's, let's talk about consciousness and let's try to expand consciousness. And of course they were doing it in a, in an academic environment however it was very recreational yeah you know it was it was like usually utilizing the facilities of of harvard and doing some testing but it was very recreational to see how high we could get how often we could do it but they found they were always coming down always coming down and looking for the next high is that the, the the same with ketamine where the patient is going to want the next high. Is there, are they, are they going to be coming to you the next day, the next month saying, Hey, I had this boost in serotonin and now I feel sad again. Uh, there, there is some of that because people feel really good afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our population that we're dealing with, um, you know, they're, they're really struggling. And for a lot of people, ketamine is the only thing that keeps the suicidal thoughts at bay. Hmm. And so I think, you know, people are suffering enough that uh, some some people kind of seek after it because it's the only thing that calms down their their uh, their really dark thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's interesting we're we're dealing with a lot of people who who nothing else has worked. You know, maybe some people even had like electroshock therapy, and that mm-hmm. that didn't even cure it. So uh, it's it's a real it's people who are just really going through a lot, and so it's you know I. I wouldn't say that they're having problematic use with it, but I, I think it's, um, on the one hand, it's really helping them, but I, I wish there was ways which we could do it non-medically, but, mm. you know, that's just, that's just where we're at right now. And in the future, we'll probably find more modalities that, that can treat them with, without the use of a medicine. Yeah, I think augmenting um, for, I mean, the, we'll, we'll get into protocols and whatnot about how to administer and who can administer, but augmenting it as a as an antidepressant I, I don't think that you would necessarily recommend or tell me would you like someone who's already seeing their doctor they're they're on an antidepressant medication maybe they have a regimen and things that they're doing already is this something that they could completely switch going right to ketamine therapy or is this something that you would suggest they sort of augment and move towards um, weaning themselves away from the other chemicals that they're being prescribed yeah so I would say the majority of people come in, they want to be off their antidepressants. They mm-hmm. don't like how sluggish it makes them feel. They don't like the sexual side effects. Um, but they, they do realize it's providing some benefit to them. And so what we usually try to do for people who are mo- motivated to come off of their other medications is we'll, we'll do ketamine in conjunction with maybe a slow taper of their mm-hmm. other medications. Some people can come completely off of their, of their um, antidepressants. Uh, but I would say the majority of people who are coming in with treatment-resistant depression st- are still on some some other sort of um, psychotropic medication just to just to keep their yeah. their minds humming. You know, we we have talked about it and how we're incorporating it is offering things that are non-chemical uh, to augment also. So those who maybe are taking depression medications and then they come in for a ketamine treatment, you're recommending, hey, let's yoga and breath work as, as a piece of that, because from my experience, the breath work does offer this 
this gas exchange that creates serotonin lifts, it creates melatonin increases, um, it produces norepinephrine, it produces even cortisol, but we're learning to manage those um, because the breath work is what's in, it's, uh, inspiring that to happen. It's, that gas exchange just causes all this neat stuff to happen within our, our bodies and our minds. And, and then yoga and breath work really tie in well to that. Can you, can you speak on that a little bit about um, how breath work is, is incorporated into the treatment or how you would recommend people to do that? Yeah, so, so I, I incorporate some breathing exercises just from, I was a respiratory therapist before, I'm an anesthesiologist now, so, so we do some calming breaths, but we don't do as rigorous as like one of your classes would be, yeah. like the breath work exercises. So I'll start with that caveat, just because I'm not trained in that. So uh, there's, there's some, a couple concepts I really like. So there's, uh, there's peak states and plateau states. Okay. This is based off the work of like Abraham Maslow. And so we're talking about peak states, plateau states, and maybe flow states. A lot of people are kind of um, <clears throat> talking about these flow states recently. So I think engaging in periods of peak states are really important for humanity. Mm -hmm. So you talked about indigenous cultures. Um, the Greeks would have these Eleusinian mysteries, um, vision quests, um, people jumping out of airplanes, mount, or, uh, going up Mount Everest. We're, we're all seeking these peak states in life. You know, religions are based around it, you know, ecstatic mm -hmm. religious experiences. And, then, and there's something about it, like, like, we just want peak states, you know. It's like we're, we're driven to find these peak states. And I think you can find them in a, lot of, in, in a lot of areas. You know, you can do, like, physical exertion. You can do medically assisted and psychedelics. Or you could do, like, intense breathwork exercises. Mm -hmm. So the, these are some ways in which you can reach these peak states. Now, obviously, we can't live in peak states. You know, there's like, you know, we still got to like go to the grocery store. We yeah, you would burn food. out. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to like, you know, we just got to like live our life. So it's just not not feasible. So so my my focus with a lot of clients is how to how do you maintain a plateau state? And so once you've had a peak state under ketamine, you know, you've had a mind expansion state. How do you maintain a fairly high plateau state? And I think that's where practices like yoga, meditation, breath work, consistent exercise, getting your diet on track. These, these are all ways in which we maintain a plateau state. Um, so kind of getting back into the physiology of it. So when, when you take psychedelics, you have this big dump of like serotonin or dopamine, um, glycine. There's, there's all these neurochemicals that are going on to produce these visionary states mm -hmm. of consciousness. Um, and it tends to be a um, sympathetically driven system. So in our bodies, our autonomic nervous system, we have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic system. Fight or flight, rest and digest. Ketamine tends to be sympathetically activating. So you, you get a lot of like dopamine going on and, and all that. Your heart rate go a little your bit faster. Your, does your breath go pretty fast when you're taking your Yeah, your breath goes up and, and you probably and you see that in other psychedelics. Your, your breath eyes dilating. Yeah. yeah. And then as you as you're coming down off ketamine, it tends to be uh, a time for uh, your parasympathetic system. Mm -hmm. That's why I think a lot of people take a nap afterwards. They're just kind of like ready to rest after the experience. And so in data so we need short bursts of these sympathetically activating experiences. Uh, to to kind of challenge our bodies, to challenge our minds, to 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 increase blood flow to our brains, 
to increase blood flow to our muscles. Short, short bursts of time, you know, less than an hour a day. But then we need to maintain it with mostly like parasympathetic activities. So I think that's where a lot of these breathing exercises can come in, a lot of where the yoga comes in. That trains our bodies to live in a more parasympathetically driven state. And that's also what kind of keeps your anxieties down. We all have a certain amount of anxiety in life. The, the more we can increase these parasympathetic states, the calmer our minds will be. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever read the, the book, uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. It's by Paramahansa Yogananda. And it was making me think about the ancient yogis who had of these superpowers, right? And he talks about them in his book, and it's actually in the Yoga Sutras that talks about it quite a bit, where um, Patanjali talks about, it's actually a whole um, section of the book or a chapter, it's called the Pada, where it talks about these superpowers. And some of those are states of consciousness. And it makes me really believe, I think that especially in religious dogmas, where we, we tend to overthink what that is, you know, we think that there is some sort of, flying guy in the sky sometimes as it relates to that but i think a lot of that at least from my own interpretation has to do with our states of mind and our consciousness as it relates to the chemical and the, and the exchange of chemicals and the way that our brain is firing to take us to that level so some of that might be you know hey i one of those superpowers might be i'm flying or i'm larger i'm small or i can be at two places at once really that really just sounds like astral travel and it sounds like just being in another realm of consciousness to mm -hmm. me and if when we when we really break it down and you really look into some of like the the relics from ancient ancestors you see that they were utilizing you know the mascara they were utilizing these different cactuses and things to to have these religious experiences they were using them as a sacrament mm -hmm. they were using them to keep their mental health towards god or towards whatever to be utilizing this as a sacrament. I, and I, I know that um, Ramdas and, and Timothy Leary, they did the, the Good Friday experiment with the, this group of theologians. And I think it was 20 of them, if I remember right. It was 20 of them. And they gave half of them a placebo that, that had kind of a, a skin tingling effect. I don't, I don't know what the placebo was, but it gave them something. So they kind of felt something. And then they gave the other ones. They gave them psilocybin, and then they weren't the, they weren't the judge of this. But they then they went back to their theological college there, and they had you know the the administrators there doing a, a sequence of questions that quantified and qualified if they had a mystical, biblical mystical experience, something that was elevated in nature that made them turn towards their God, and those who had taken them the placebo only one of them showed one of the i think there was a nine criteria that they, they could show that they only showed one uh, that whereas the others showed at least four if not all nine those who had taken the psilocybin so to me that says some of these mystical experiences that we're reading about in in our texts our religious texts may have been augmented or even facilitated ceremony things like the burning bush of moses right and things like we see them in the in the hieroglyphs of, in ancient egypt you know and we see that there, there there's there's mushrooms and there's different things that are being used and we 
kind of went away from that and we where we criminalized the use of chemicals and then which is very interesting so coming from a, a physician point of view but yet you can issue chemicals but yet you know the the, the layman can't ingest them because it became illegal and I, I think a lot of that had to do with like government and taxation and and so forth but now we're now we're all the way full spectrum coming back around where we can say we we now have this to offer and i'm hoping that that it, that it expands and expands and expands but for someone who is um quite hesitant because they they look at it as a drug how can you soften that soften that entry level to for, for someone who's saying hey like psychedelics are illegal. I know about the sixties and people were freaking out and you can overdose. And I grew up in that, but yet they're still showing signs of depression, suicidal tendencies. What is it? What advice do you offer those who are saying, I want that mystical experience, but it, but it, I don't want to take a drug. Yeah. Well, so we know, we know from the studies that are ongoing with psilocybin out of Johns Hopkins and other places that the mystical experience correlates with the degree of depression relief. Mm. So, so there, there is something about that mystical experience that tends to be pretty therapeutic for people. Yeah. And, and we don't exactly know why, but it tends to be like very hopeful. Um, maybe it helps people kind of get out of their, their, the ruminating thoughts where they're kind of confined wholly inside their minds, you know, you know, if you've ever, like we've all been depressed and sad and we kind of think we're the only ones who are ever having this experience that we're having right now. And when you get an experience where you're kind of connected to the rest of humanity, I think it, I think it just kind of makes you feel like you're not alone in it. You're not, mm-hmm. um, you're not, you're not special in that the fact that you're depressed, you're just kind of like experiencing the rest of what humanity is experiencing and it's not unique to you. And so that might be one explanation why that mystical experience tends to be uh, therapeutic. Um, I mean, and, and this is research that's ongoing. It's like, why, why is the experience itself so valuable to treating mental health disorders? Yeah. And, and we're, we're trying to figure that out. I'm actually doing a study with Rocky Vista University where we're, uh, we're the first ones to detail the experience of doing a flotation, like an isolation tank, flotation tank therapy followed by ketamine therapy. And we're, we're doing the first study at, um, just describing it, just what people are experiencing because, because the experience itself is, is what tends to be uh, a game changer. They, so another thing to look at, so people get ketamine all the time during uh, the course of anesthesia. And when they get ketamine during anesthesia and they don't remember the experience, their depression doesn't tend to get any better. So there's something about remembering the experience, mm-hmm. going through that experience, which is therapeutic. Does that have to do with the, the protocols that, that you offer to them so that they can remember? Um, for dep- I mean, there's I know there's lots, and I guess specifically depression, since that's what we're on. But like, is there a specific protocol that has to say this is what they so they can remember and so they can have that mystical experience? Otherwise, they just forget about it. Well, I mean, it's kind of by its very nature the mystical experience you can't remember it at all. You know, it tends to be ineffable, or there's okay. words that you can't describe to use it. Um, so we we try to help people as much as possible remember the experience in that we. We do a process called integration where you, you talk about the experience. You help them make sense of it afterwards. You, 
you try to elicit certain cues so that they can they can put it into words. And and that's part of our study is what what are the words that people are using to describe it? Because if we can find common words that a lot of people are using, then maybe we can have a better framework for helping people integrate the yeah. experience. What are, what are some of those common words that you're hearing? Uh, so a lot of common words are out of body, um, at least with ketamine, it tends to be out of body. Connected, so connected to the universe. Uh, death comes into mm. it. A lot of people feel like they're dying, but it's it's a uh, it just feels natural and okay, you know. So it's not a scary experience. So so there uh, there's possibilities with using psychedelics in helping people relieve death anxiety. Um, what are some other words? Colors, you know. There's just different colors that arise, different fractal shapes that arise. Um, unity, peace, love, tranquility, floating, floating experience is common. Mm-hmm. So, so these are the just kind of anecdotally the words that 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 we're experiencing. We're we're trying to maybe a little bit more scientifically gather the the, the actual words that people are using in the experience. I, I heard you say um, that, you know death and and it makes me think of um, uh, regression therapy, like going like going going beyond this physical incarnation and to the next or the one before. Do you hear a lot of People talk about um, past life experience and that kind of stuff after ketamine, or not? Well, sometimes, yeah. and maybe not in those terms. Like you know, I saw myself in, in yeah. past life. It is interesting though. So this this past life experiences tend to crop up throughout humanity, you yeah. know. And I don't know. There's some we don't know why. You know, obviously everybody has their theory on why past life regression happens but something to explore well you know the the, the tibetans and the, you know, as you, if you've ever read the, the book of the dead they talk about you know death is just that doorway to the to the next ramdas says death is just like taking off an old shoe we you know we put on that new more comfortable shoe so yeah. a lot of religions um who may have even at one point utilized psychedelics talk about that next life and that maybe this is almost the the window to seeing what's next that there's not that fear of death you know it's like hey there is more beyond your physical body it is consciousness which is always living i think it was um well it was maharaji he said that you know that our um we live as many lives as if a bird were to carry a silk scarf over a mountain once every hundred years and it would take so many times to wear down the mountain. That's how many lives that you live. And, you know, it was just kind of the, the, the analogy to that it's um, able to be thought about and to really be processed. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a lot of them. It's a lot. I think rather than saying numbers, it's just a lot of, a lot of time. So, um, you know, it sounds like, from indigenous people or whatnot, they were looking for their shaman for this. They were saying, hey, the shaman knows medicine, he knows the ways of the world, he knows our traditions and our cultures. And in many cases, there's those out there who are administering psychedelics who are calling themselves shaman. They're, they're, you know, whether that be in South America or whether that be, you know, in the inner city, we have inner, you know, the urban shamans and some of them are quite qualified and some are not, um, you know, as, as we 
can imagine, um, we're, we're going down modalities that are experimental. And so what is really the qualification of, <laughs> of that person? What is that qualification? Is it just that they understand or is it that they have a degree? So talk to me a little bit about um, who can administer ketamine? What is the... So le legally, anybody with a uh, medical license or, or even like a, like a nurse practitioner or physician assistant can prescribe ketamine. So anybody with a controlled substance license can do it. Um, but I, I will say like, even if you have a degree, it doesn't qualify you as a shaman. Yeah. You know, you might be able to like physically help somebody through the experience. Um, but, but as you know, like most psychedelics are pretty, pretty dang safe. Yeah. And so the, the biggest quality I find is the ability to hold space for people and to provide emotional support. Um, because Unfortunately, what we're seeing in the ketamine world, to make a lot of money, you get five people into your clinic at a time and give them each ketamine while you're sitting in the, in the office, you know, scrolling Facebook. And so that, that is a model that I'm seeing more frequently, which, you know, you're dealing, you're dealing with people who are really in a vulner, vulnerable state and you have their psyche in your hands. And the fact that you're off doing something else and just collecting money really is like diametrically opposed to my philosophy on it. And so I, I think we're, we're going to have to try to find ways to improve the container of psychedelic medicine. So, uh, it, and, and ways in which we can scale it as well. So, so find, finding ways to make it cost effective, but also very psychologically safe are, are ways in which we do it. So the way that we've done it is we've just elected to make less money and we sit with people one-on-one -on -one the mm -hmm. entire experience. Is, yeah, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing that you feel quite um, loved, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the only way I think you just feel loved. You feel like I'm important. I'm not just a patient anymore. You kind of create a dialogue and even a... a I, I, well, I don't want to really call it a friendship, but I would say more of like a... a a two-way conversation rather than doctor saying you need this there you go I'm out you know which is, is, is unfortunately a lot of the way the Western medicine um, has has been uh, you know it's been I, I have another patient to get to I have this other thing to do I have this other place to be whereas in Eastern or even those who are in you know the shamanic world it's, it's usually been a group setting in many cases at least from my experience with, with psilocybin and with ayahuasca, is it's a group setting. And would you, would you say that ketamine should not be administered in a, in a group setting? Not necessarily. I think, I think if you prep people in the way in which you can do it in the, like a larger group setting, mm -hmm. would be fine. There, um, it can be a difficult experience if you put a bunch of strangers in a room together and they're all suffering from mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times people are like going through trauma and releasing that trauma. And so it can be, you know, it can be like a lot of yelling and screaming. And you want to give them their privacy. Yeah. And so I, I, I think there's an aspect of needing to provide some privacy for mm. people. Um, so, if, but you know, if you're at a retreat setting and people feel comfortable together, I think yeah. that's, that's a way of doing it. And that's, you know, we're going to talk later about the retreat we're putting together. Yeah, no, it's a good segue to get into it. I, I just, I mean, when I administer breathwork, I'm sure I can do, you know, one-on-ones, but many times it is, 
um, in a group setting, especially cold immersion group setting, because there is that feeling of like community yeah. and support. Like we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be doing exactly what you're doing here. We got you. Um, but in, especially with psychedelics, I tend to be very, um, I get how inward is a good word for it, but it's more of like a, an outsider looking or an insider looking out. Yeah. It's kind of what I feel like. So the opposite of it, when I, especially with psilocybin, I feel like I'm an insider looking outward at the world in a different perspective where I'm seeing nature and I'm seeing the interactions of other people differently. Um, there's this massive connection to, to the earth and to the vibrations. And it's, it's a really wonderful experience for me, but I, I don't know if, if ketamine, since I've, I've not had a ketamine treatment, I, I don't know what to expect. So is it the same kind of insider looking out experience or is it a, a little bit deeper than that? Is it more of a darker uh, feeling than, than that? Everybody's a little bit different. Um, some people do get an out-of-body experience. So yeah. you, you, you're physically seeing Yourself. a room. You're sitting in the corner of the room watching, watching yeah. it happen, which is kind of wild by itself. You know, you're yeah, like, yeah. You know, it calls into questions like, is our consciousness confined to our brains? And so you start to think, well, maybe not. I would say no, yeah. yeah. From lucid dreaming stuff and yeah. astral projection, no. So, yeah. so that's, you know, that, that's a whole other topic to talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there is an element you could do group, compared to like LSD and psilocybin, LSD and psilocybin where, where they are serotonin based, mm-hmm. serotonin tends to be the chemical where you're okay with things as the way they are. Ketamine works on a system called the sorry my dog's barking. <laughs> Ketamine works on a system called the NMDA system, so N-methyl aspartate, and it's it has some serotonin effects to it, but it's a completely opposite mechanism. So it tends to be more dissociative and disembodied than connecting to the universe. So I think possibly with ketamine doesn't lend itself as well to group experience as the serotonin-based psychedelics, the classical. Does it have an inhibitor? Is that why? Does it? Like... So it it, inhi- it inhibits the NMDA system, and it has okay. this whole cascade with with glutamate and other and other um, areas. So it's it's just a little different than the um, than the classical psychedelics. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I definitely need to learn more about it uh, for, yeah. for sure because it, yeah, it's, it's something that I was resistant to, and now I'm learning more about it, especially you know, from your practice and, and how I'm seeing it helping others. And, and there, there is a little bit of a buzz happening, which is probably a good time to, to, yeah. to, to be a part of uh, a ketamine-assisted therapy if you're running into lots of walls. I have a lot of people that come to me, you know, and they, they feel better after breath work, and they feel better after getting into the cold, better after yoga, and all of those things. And I think that's all we can really expect. We want people to feel better. We may not say, you're healed. Yeah. You know, but we want people to feel better. And I, I've heard of um, people who, who do ketamine-assisted therapy uh, for years, though. And so I, 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 I'm supposing and guessing that, that this would be an ongoing treatment. This is not a one-and-done kind of thing, right? They, they come back to you. Uh, yeah, our, our protocols, we usually do six treatments over about okay. three months. Most clinics will do six treatments in two weeks. Um, mm. part of me thinks that's just based on money. Um, so you feel great for those two weeks, but then after a couple of weeks, you, then you're you back to depression. Yeah. 
So, so I tend to take a longer term approach to it. Spread those treatments Good. out over yeah. three months. I tend, I find that the effects tend to be more durable when you do that. Um, we we focus a lot more heavily on psychotherapy, pairing it with psychotherapy and other modalities like breath work and exercise. Yeah. And, because it's like I don't think there's anything wrong with coming back into the clinic every six months or so and just kind of getting getting topped off. There's there's a concept in that new uh, Jamie Wheel bit Jamie Wheel book. Um, recapture the rapture yeah, yeah where he talks about hedonic scheduling and i and i kind of like that if you're doing any any sort of psychedelic therapy or anything just recreationally or on your own or, or even if like like for me personally I, i'm really drawn to extreme sports so uh mountaineering and climbing and that has a tendency to take over your life if you if you give into it so for me i found now that i've got a busy job and kids it's better if i just schedule big adventures a couple times a year versus just constantly trying to get out every weekend and doing it. And I think the same thing kind of applies to psychedelics and ketamine to an extent. Like, you know, schedule it a couple times a year, you know, and do it, do it add, so it adds benefit to your life, mm-hmm. but not so much that it becomes the focus of your life. Yeah, I, I feel that way. I mean, there's times where I want a, a large dose of psilocybin. There's times where I'm like, I need to reconnect, I need it. But there are times where I just schedule like a microdose that just says, Hey, I don't need that. I just want like the, it, it just, it's almost like a regulatory like there. And I, and I usually during that microdose time, I find that I'm journaling more. I find that I'm creating more, that I'm playing more music and maybe those tools are actually what give us that, those dopamine hits. It's not, I mean, the chemical helps get us there, but it's like, Oh, I just did that. Mm-hmm. Whereas before in a depressive state, you'd be like, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. And that's actually what makes us feel better is that inspiration to get out and do something. Yeah. So maybe it's just the, the catalyst you need to, to yeah. get out and do those, those uh, lifestyle things that just make your life better. Yeah. I think we, we tend to get into our, our programming, which is, you know, our limbic that just says, oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel. This is the way I've always been. Yeah. Or sorry, in our in our prefrontal cortex, we just think of our back. You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. Fine, and we and we don't really go back into our limbic, the, the emotions of our, our. Let's let's get this elevated state to like really feel better. We just go, and oh, this is what I've always done, and there's no changing it. This is who I am, and it, and it sounds like ketamine exposes you to who you could possibly be because you have that that time period where you might be out of body or where you have that time period where you're having this elevated state and, and you have a time to process it, which is pretty fantastic. Um, and I want others to, to be able to experience that for sure, you know, for certain. So we were planning a, a retreat together and I, I want to talk about that a little bit because we're going to be incorporating a lot of tools, a lot of tools, breath work and yoga and cold immersion and, you know, the ketamine assisted therapy and, and different talking about the protocols. And there's all kinds of stuff that, that, that can go into it to, to really um, educate, I think is, is key. I need the education myself, you know, uh, uh, being unfamiliar. So we're planning this retreat for December and it's, it's here in Southern Utah and it's primarily targeted to, to mental health, mental health professionals and, and some physicians and, 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 and this is for those who are currently um, administering ketamine or who are interested who are in interested in it. So, so I've been approached by a lot of therapists and how, how can they integrate ketamine into their practice? Yeah. 
And and I think this is one this is one thing I'm really excited about because I would love it if if uh, we could get more people access to the medication. So so there's a concept called ketamine assisted psychotherapy where you, instead of doing an infusion like mm-hmm. you would do in our clinic, you would take ketamine orally and then go to your therapist's office and and work through your your trauma and your depression. Um, and it tends to be a lower dose than we would do intravenously. So more like a more like a a microdose. Kind of yeah. like microdose, yeah. But you're still, you know, you're still kind of high during the experience. So take it before, don't take it before driving. <laughs> yeah, you need a driver to, to, to take you around. Um, or an Uber or something like that. And what it tends to be a lot more cost effective doing it that way because the, the intravenous um, requires a lot more monitoring. Um, it's, bigger, it's a bigger physiologically um, uh, medical experience. So... So it tends to be kind of expenses, expensive limits who can do it. But the more therapists I can get involved with this, because they already have the training on how to kind of sit with people in, in yeah. difficult emotional states. Um, I, I think that that's going to be the way that we really roll this out in a large, large manner. So, yeah, so the, the, the sublingual tends to be kind of like a microdose or a partial dose or mm-hmm. a, not as, as big of a dose. Get somebody to drive you, you feel like you can talk more with your therapist and actually have a, a different perspective. Um, I, I talk about that a lot with um, with our perspective on discomfort and pain and suffering. And we're just like, taking a different perspective because we tend to group those three things as the same. I'm yeah. in so much pain, I'm suffering, I'm so uncomfortable. You know, we, we say those things, whereas there is a differentiation between them. Like discomfort... Um, is completely different than suffering. <laughs> yeah. It's totally, it's a totally different concept. And so I would imagine people come, maybe come to you and say, I'm, I'm suffering from this thing, you know, I'm suffering from this and this is my last hope, you know? And I, I think with treatment, they can shift that to saying I have momentary, um, or moments that are, uncomfortable and this is now my toolkit you know i'm this is my toolkit whether that be breath work or whether that be a sublingual or whether that be whatever that is i have a toolkit to help with this coping mechanism you know as a, not as a coping mechanism as a as a therapy as a therapy going forward and is you know a lot of people are on antidepressants their entire lives is ketamine something that they would need to do most of their life to to, to stay balanced or is there an actual, I, mean, I guess we're doing the, the research now, but is there, is there research that's showing that there are new neural pathways and new places in the brain lighting up if they did a scan saying, hey, we're seeing improvement in this activity over here in limbic or is, is, there, is that being yeah, shown? Yeah, we, we do see more dendritic growth. So dendrites are, so you have a neuron. Yeah. Uh, everybody can kind of picture a neuron with a nucleus in the middle with all these little offshoots going off of it. So you do see more, den- the, the offshoots are called dendrites. They grow off the neurons and start connecting to other neurons. So we do see more growth in that area. Um, I don't know that we can correlate that to depression relief, but that is something that we see. Um, and some people, I think some people can, like it comes back to things. Some people can come off their meds. Some people need them. I do think in a lot of these mental health disorders, there, there is just some neurochemical thing going on. Bio, like a straight brain chemistry, and um, some people just need need their meds, and their meds are saving their lives. It's keeping them from committing suicide. Okay. 
Um, but some people, you know, I think if you have maybe like some sort of situational depression, especially if you have trauma. So I think people who have had major traumatic events, and that's why they're taking all these antidepressants, I think those are the ones who have the most promise for, for being completely medication-free. Because trauma, you can actually work with it, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what ketamine and other psychedelics do. It puts you into a state of consciousness where you can talk about your trauma. You can create a story around it. And once you can create a story around it, you can work with it. And so that, so for me, those are some of the most satisfying patients to work with are the ones that were working through their trauma. Yeah, for me, the cold was, was my medicine. Okay, because it just brought me into a place of presence, absolute presence. Yeah. Um, you, you're not thinking about anything else other than present moment when you're in the cold. You, you've done the cold with me, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like you, you can't, you're not thinking about what you had for breakfast or what mm-hmm. you're going to have for dinner or a trauma that happened months ago. You're not going to be thinking about that. And But for me, the cold actually uncovered suppressed memory. Mm-hmm. So for me, I had some suppression of memory um, as a child and the cold actually is what kind of brought it forth. Are you seeing that with ketamine too or where we're on kind of uncovering layers of, of a veil that maybe had suppressed for, for some of these clients? Uh, definitely. There, I mean, all of us, we, we suppress memories. We suppress emotions. Yeah. That's kind of the, the American way. It's just kind of push it down and you know, turn yeah. it off. I think with an elevated emotion, too, that's really what you need for healing anyway. Yeah. So, so all these things in conjunction create that elevated emotion and... And that opens the availability to heal. So is it, that's kind of what the therapists that are coming to the retreat are going to be, you know, learning more about how the ketamine works and how they can apply it to their, 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 their particular clients. Um, and I know it's limited for this retreat. Um, we're expecting, is it right about we're, over 20? Yeah, we're going to cap it at 20 people because the whole, the whole point of all this is to keep it special, keep yeah. it magical. You know, we, you know, I, I'm not in the business of just trying to make a bunch of money because I really enjoy the, the magic around it. I really mm-hmm. enjoy the, the sacredness of the experience with people. So so we're trying to limit, at least in this initial session, how many people are coming. So it's it's in December at um, in southern Utah, and uh, tickets um, are on Eventbrite. That's where they would... Um, you would just look for Southern Utah... Uh, southern Utah Ketamine Assisted Therapy Retreat. Yeah, yeah. There's a long title there, but Southern Utah yeah. Ketamine Assisted Therapy Retreat. Look for that on Eventbrite, and then on your uh, it, there's a link on your webpage too, correct? On Satori, we should probably put it on the Satori webpage. Yeah, I'm trying not to make it a um, just a promotional material for Satori, so I'm, I'm trying to separate out the education you. side from the clinical side. I, I don't want it to just. I don't want to. I really don't want to be seen as self promoting through this event. I want to make it just mostly on the. On the just educating people. I'll put a, a link to the the event by page in the show notes, which will be there. Sure. I mean, those who follow um, my social media, um, I have stuff in the story and stuff, and I'll do that on Ryan Bean Yoga. Sure. Um, and then I'm guessing Satori Health and Wellness yeah. will will have yeah, we'll, posted we'll there. Um, for those who are interested in in more uh, resources on ketamine, where should they look? Because I know I've done Google searches and I find, I mean, this retreat's great, but it's really for therapists. What about those who are seeking treatment and finding all kinds of stuff on Google? That, that, so yeah. that, that is one area which I'll point to our website. So I've, I've created a pretty decent blog on it. 
um, try to put up a lot of uh, promote or not promotional, but educational materials on our website. Um, you can go to stgeorgeketamine.com okay. or you can just um, Google Satori Ketamine, S-A-T-O-R-I Ketamine. Okay. And then uh, you'll find our blog there. Yeah, there's a lot of like um, unknowns, especially as it relates to um, psychedelics and, and those who maybe live in a, in a conservative environment like this is, mm-hmm. where the, the resources are, are sparse. You know, it, it's like, it's... I remember when I was first getting my my uh, medical cannabis card, right? And I always, I felt kind of, I don't know, I felt like I was breaking the law even though I had a card, right? So I felt like I was kind of, yeah, I was like very when, hesitant to yeah, talk when about it. Mormon goes and buys their first beer and they're just like kind of trying to hide it from everybody. Yeah, I felt very hesitant <laughs> about like, okay, yeah, I guess I just bought that <laughs> in, in a store. So I, I would imagine that, that many come into you and they're very hesitant about psychedelics because it has been criminalized yeah. for so long. Uh, maybe not ketamine, but psychedelics in general has been criminalized because of it's unknown and not a way to, 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 to tax it, you know, not a way for the government to make money on it, which I would imagine um, in the future, ketamine will probably fall into those realms unless there is some sort of protection around it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting... Um process we're going through about creating the containers around these things. And, and I do think they need to be contained in some way or, or sure. else they're just going to break out and cause havoc. Yeah, you would, you would have a, yeah. I mean, there, there is a street market for it, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not something I actively seek out, but, but, but there is a, a street market for, for ketamine and, uh, and other psychedelics because the, those who are looking for uh, mystical experiences or those who are just looking to have a good feeling, I think that it's really all one and the same, really. We're all looking to, to feel better. Mm-hmm. And with, with the container and with the right setting, as, as you kind of put it, true healing can't happen. Um, for those who are have maybe experienced, we'll call it a bad trip. Because a bad trip, I think, can happen in two different ways. One way is going in and there is that the unknown comes and hits them and they're wow, what do I, I don't know what to do with all these feelings, emotions, and sensations. And the other bad trip can happen on the way out where it says, I want to go back there. That felt really good. That was, that was like that release of chemicals. And I don't want to live where I feel bad. So there's two different types of bad trips. And with what you're offering, with I think the therapy aspect of it, rather than just the administering, like go in that room, let me give you this, and then walk out with the patient you're offering a way to reduce the possibility of what we would call a bad trip. And I think that really comes with the shaman side of that. Yeah. It's like sitting with people with loving and compassion and not with, here's a chemical, I got another patient. So those who are looking for change and those who are looking for healing you can find it on the street, but really you could, you have the possibility of bad trips going in and going out. And they really should look at the option of finding someone who is licensed and who has the right setting to be able to administer this because otherwise, you know, you, you may just end up um, in a really bad place, a really dark place where maybe even darker than when you started, you know? You, you have that possibility, yeah. and, and, and I think 
uh, have, having it with like a shaman or guide or clinician with you. Uh, it can turn that, that bad trip into a, cha- a challenging trip, which tends to be very transformative. Because yeah. honestly, when people come in and they just kind of float through clouds for an hour and a half, I'm like, well, that was kind of boring for everybody. You know, you might have had a beautiful experience, but but did you really learn anything? Yeah. And so I think it's those those experiences of, of difficulty like you had in the, the cold immersion, which challenge our minds. And that's where we really learn the most about ourselves. And you can take that challenging experience and turn it into a transformative experience. I wonder if, maybe you do this already, but I wonder if like the, like an intention setting before administration would be beneficial to, to, to clients. So saying, hey, I, so I know, you know, I'm relating this to psilocybin, but I know I go in with intention mm-hmm. and I go in usually sometimes with inquiry. Like asking the question of the medicine itself, ask, and which really it's asking the mind. It's saying, hey, can we move past this barrier? And I don't, I don't know if you, you have that as part of your protocols, but like intention setting, uh, you, you see value in that? We, we've kind of moved away from intention setting because what I found is that when you set an intention, it tends to tether people to that intention mm. and they can't let go into the experience. Because ketamine, like a lot of drugs, will just kind of take you wherever it wants to go. And so when people are holding on to that, like intention of like, Oh, what should I do in my marriage? Or, you know, should I quit my job or, or whatever it is, then, then they can't let go into what they really need to have happen. And so we do a lot of coaching on helping people let go into the experience so they can break through into that transcendent realm versus holding on to the kind of their, what they thought they should be there for. I was, uh, I guess I was just thinking about that too, just now, because I, we use in yoga a lot that term, let go, let go, let go of your attachments, let it all go. And a lot say, well, I wish I could, yeah. but my mind doesn't allow me to do that because I come right back into my thoughts. I come right back into who I think I am, that narrative of who I think I am or who you think I am. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't let go. I can't let go. I need to have some sort of direction down this path because I'm coming to you because I feel lost. Yeah. So what do you say to those who are saying, I, I can't let go. I, I'm having a really hard time. Letting go to me is suicide. Letting go to me is going down a path of um, addiction. What, what is, how do we lead someone who is afraid of letting go? I, I wonder if things like yoga if the stimulus isn't great enough for a lot of people to truly let go. That's why I'm, I'm really drawn to like the cold immersion classes because yeah. you have no choice other than like, if yeah. you, I mean, you can get out of the water like I did the other day, <laughs> I kind of like go into the experience, but if you can get yourself, if, if you can focus and, and have that presence of mind and turn your attention to what is actually occurring, like that cold immersion. Yeah. If you, if you can just, I'm not, I'm not sure the best way, but maybe attention attention yeah. is the best way to let go into it. Just turn your attention to what's actually occurring. Don't try yeah. to distract yourself. Don't try to like, you know, do something else with your mind, but just really give in to what is actually occurring to you. Psychedelics, I think, are the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this external stimulus that is pushing you to where it wants to go. And if you're fighting it, you're going to have a bad experience. And kind of same with cold, cold immersion. I think what you're doing with the floating beforehand maybe helps yeah. um, facilitate that, which is really great because 
you know, people come in kind of tense and unsure, un, you know, don't know what to happen. Their fists are clenched and they get into the flow and they're like, oh, now I can, I, I, I sort of let go, even though my thoughts were going crazy while I was sitting there in the float tank for at mm-hmm. least a few minutes, I, I'm understanding this letting go thing. And um, so that's where floating and what you're doing is, is really fantastic. Uh, cold, you're right. It's, it's, it's all about that. I, I like to use the metaphor of, um, of a leaf floating down a river. I, I like this metaphor a lot that we can, we don't really know where the leaf came from, which tree it came from. We just know as it passes our field of vision, where it is. We don't know where it's going really. And, and our thoughts are a lot that way where we think about well, where have I been and where did it come from? Where am I going? And where am I going to land? And how is this all going to work out? But when we really put on the blinders and just look at our field of vision to see the leaf passing by us and then worry about the next leaf and worry yeah. about the next leaf. And that's really kind of letting go to me is, it's not about forgetting completely. It's just saying my focus is right mm-hmm. here, right now. And, um, I mean, for me, um, cold immersion does that. I, I don't, I don't think about what I'm having for lunch when I'm in the cold. And there's just so many like chemicals that get, that they get produced and it's really fun to be your own alchemist in that way yeah. where you where you're like, wow, I, I felt that happen, um, through my breath work or through the cold. I felt myself calm and there's days that are better than others. You know, like you said, you know, you were the, the, the one experience you had was like, eh, it's not. And then you came back a little bit later and you're like, Oh, got it. There's just days that are, that are different than others. And I would guess that's where a long-term treatment plan is needed because there's days which are going to be really dark for a treatment. And there's going to be days that are going to be really awesome and healing, right? So they're going to have all these different um, experiences and it's good for them to have multiple experiences to kind of compare that to. Mm-hmm. So um, as we do this retreat, we're going to be offering all of that. We're going to be offering a, a series of experiences and lectures and uh, education and like kind of getting people to be, answer all these questions that they may have. So I, you know, I'm really excited to, to facilitate some of that. The breath work I think is, is key. I love it when we, when we realize that the chemicals that we're producing are our own, which is really cool. You know, yes, we are taking in new chemicals with ketamine and, and others, but like to, to really feel that, like the nervous system activation through your breath, and to feel that release of like norepinephrine where you're like, I'm kind of feeling anxious right now. And then I calmed it down by myself by breathing too. That really empowers people. That really empowers, it really empowers them to be able to show up as responders rather than reactors. Mm-hmm. And I think that many who are anxious, depressed, um, live in, in a state of reaction. Mm-hmm. And that's quite stressful on the body, quite stressful on the mind. Yeah, I like how you frame that, responders versus reactors. And how do we, how do we take ourselves from reacting to, to responding? And, yeah. and I think like breath work, cold immersion, psychedelics, most of what it does is it creates separation between the events and our emotions around the events. And so if we can create that separation, engage in practices you know, more or less daily to yeah. separate ourselves from the emotions and then our lives become a lot easier. Yeah, because our, our mind, in a way, I like to tell people that our mind lies to us. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, 
your mind will lie to you because it'll feel a sensation and it'll tell you that that event is happening, even though it might be PTSD, right? So it's, it's, it's something that happened, a stressor that happened a long time ago, but it, you're, it's showing up now because something similar happened and it triggered that. And so now you're feeling it and then we react rather than responding. And for me, breath work and yoga has been key for that to just being like, okay, I feel you. I, I hear you. Yeah. Thanks for knocking on my door. But um, no thanks. <laughs> uh, I'm going to show up as a responder here. So lots of tools that people can um, use to, to find healing. So they, they, people can find you at satorihealthandwellness.com mm-hmm. and, um, and, and through the retreat. Um, um, those who are interested in doing that, and I'm guessing we'll be probably do many more of those. But those who are looking for a referral for, for uh, ketamine-assisted therapy, I'm guessing they can contact the clinic. Yeah, you can um, just call our office. And, yeah. If you just Google Satori St. Yeah. George, you'll find us. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know what the, um, the landscape looks like for, for ketamine-assisted therapy clinics, but I, I, I know that you know, there's, there's a few here and there. But, I mean, if people wanted to travel to come see you, there's accommodations that can be made. Um, we'll, we'll have people come in for kind of extended, you know, maybe like a two-week session. Yeah. Uh, and that works pretty well. And I, and I think if people are coming in intentionally, and that's, that's why I love what you're doing, it's because it can really kind of transform, take it from just kind of being a medical treatment to just this life-altering treatment that's sustainable. So, yeah. so ketamine by itself is, is a nice tool, but it's not the most sustainable way of living your life. So I, I like practices which sustain it. Breath work meditation for me exercise is huge yeah all that i would the reason why i was asking about the group setting earlier is i i really i i I see some value in that group community of healing and bonding and we're in this together through cold immersion breath work and ketamine assisted therapy To, to put that into one retreat could be a really really powerful thing it could be really really great however i think from our conversation just now that there's probably going to need to be some other tools that happen after the retreat. So, so postscript there. So, so post therapy and it doesn't mean that, that that it can't happen. Um, but that's something that I would want to talk to you further about is how can we offer a tool to where we can see a lot of, a lot of people and create this community that is kind of, we're all on our own path, right? But, and we all kind of take different turns, but we're all still kind of going down a path. Yeah. And to be able to facilitate that, I, I find that with breath work and with cold that we, we all have kind of a same end goal and we tend to, to support each other. Yeah. And I think that it would be the same with, with, with this. So maybe that, that's something we talk about yeah. offline, but is that how do we take those who are in need of that and who want to get away from their life for a minute? Like who, for me, living in an urban environment stressed me out. So that's why I live here in Southern Utah, because yeah. it doesn't stress me out as much. To get people away from their stressors, offer them something and that, that is temporary, but also they can leave with tools. And so that's something that we'll, that we'll maybe talk about in a future, a future podcast, or they can, can find maybe at a, a future retreat. You know, yeah, that, sure. Let's thing. explore those. So um, the retreat, um, tell a little bit that just the listeners... Um, 
the date and maybe some of the, the workshops that are going to be offered there? Yeah, so December 10th through 12th, we're going to do a homestead ranch down here in St. George. It's a beautiful, um, kind of like a dude ranch uh, where we're renting out the place. And uh, we're going to do lectures. So there's going to be a fair amount of lectures by doctors and therapists um, on just the mechanics of how to, how to use ketamine. Um, Ryan's going to lead us in some breath work classes and for people who are interested, they have a little lake up there and we're going to do some cold immersion. It's going to be some beautiful mid-December lake water. Yeah, it sits at about uh, 6,000 feet there maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going to be, I'm, I'm super yeah. excited about that. And then um, we'll, it'll be an overnight stay and everybody who's going to come is going to be encouraged to take ketamine themselves and so they can get an experience of what it's like for, for their clients. And, and also for their own healing, like everybody's got something to heal. So, mm -hmm. so it'll be, yeah, it'll be experiential with lectures and yoga and breath work and good food and, and mostly good company where we yeah. can have some camaraderie with everybody. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, that'll be in the show notes and I'll put the link to Satori Health and Wellness in the, in the show notes as well. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, definitely. It's been fun.